and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we are streaming live from the Team Needham abode this morning, and we are super excited to have Rebecca Hardy and Michelle Evans on our podcast talking about Texans for Vaccines Choice, and they have super great news to share with us um, regarding a, a bill that they have been working on for four different sessions, I think, and they finally got passed. So um, without further ado, Rebecca and Michelle, welcome to our show. Hi, thanks for having us. Yes, this is perfect. Thank you. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about the history. We're talking off air um, before the podcast. Tell us about the history of Texans for Vaccine Choices. Choice. It was started by two, three awesome moms, and we're talking to two of them. You are. Michelle, you want to take this one? Sure. So uh, back in 2015, there was um, a Republican out of Dallas County who filed a bill, HB 2006, that number will be imprinted on my brain forever, um, which would have ended the conscientious exemptions to vaccinations for school enrollment in Texas, public school kids. Um, Right now, we enjoy three types of exemptions, and he wanted to take the most commonly used one away. So we immediately, all these parents, um, a lot of parents of special needs kids got together on a group call and tried to forge a way forward to end this bill, to kill it. And from that, Texans for Vaccine Choice was born. We killed 15 bills that session, which was monumental because at the beginning, none of us knew anything about the political or legislative process. And um, eight years later, we are going strong. We're still killing bills. But this year, we have passed a record number of bills. Awesome. Well, congratulations. And thank you, too, for fighting. Uh, Rebecca, what do you want to add to that? Well, you know, like Michelle said, that session, I mean, I think the three of us kind of thought we were going to go down there and kill that one, like, really bad mandate bill. And then we discovered there was, you know, over a dozen other bad bills that we had to, that were in play. And, you know, we didn't really know. We like to say that we didn't know what we were doing that first session. I mean, I cringe at my level of civil uh, civic engagement back in 2015, my lack of knowledge on how all of this works. So we may not have known what we were doing that first session, but we did it very well. Yes. And we we have figured out, you know, it's not brain surgery down there. I mean, it's uh, a lot of shenanigans and sometimes a big game in theater, but we have figured it out and uh, are stronger for it. Um, and I will just add this, and that is that after that legislative session, I think the a lot of us kind of thought like, okay, we came, we saw, we conquered, <laughs> yeah. we can go back to our regular lives. And uh, we got a phone call from some state reps that said, let's, let's go get coffee. And I am so thankful for that coffee because they were like, listen, this issue is not going away. And we really encourage you to, you know, fully get organized, you know, establish yourself as a nonprofit so that this can proceed. And I am so thankful for their forethought on that because, you know, I cannot imagine the state legislature in the days of COVID without TFEC, a Texans for Vaccine Choice is the backstop to all the tyranny. I mean, it was bad enough in Texas. Let's be clear. We were not, you know, we we had our share of like major medical tyranny, but I cannot imagine 
how extreme it would have gone without us at the helm and without them knowing that their bad bills are going nowhere because we have a 100% track record of killing every bad bill since we came on the scene. Wow, that's inspiring. It's also a reminder too how, and I know Janet and I could share some stories of this about um, the fight is never over. There's always... You know, there's always that one big, oh, yeah, you know, once we get this done, it's over and we can we can stop fighting about it. No, it's never over because um, politicians and other uh, special interest groups are always looking to take away our liberties. We have to constantly, constantly be vigilant to, to prevent that. I think Rebecca would agree that um, we are trying to work ourselves into obsolescence, (laughs) but people um, outside of the organization continue to try to to make that an impossibility. So (laughs) we're happy to be the tip of the spear when it comes to medical liberty in Texas, and we will continue to fight as long as we have to. Awesome. Janet, what questions do you have for Rebecca and Michelle? Well... It, it seems crazy that we have to fight so hard for for our children and, and people for just basic rights of, of, of our own body and what choices we have. But if anything, in the last three years, we've learned that this 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 fight is ongoing and, and probably will continue to be. So we've we hear that you had success. So what 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 does this mean? Tell us tell us what your what your success means to your Uh, constituents in your state? We've had quite a few successes this session. Um, I believe we're up to, correct me if I'm wrong, four or five bills, four bills, four TFEC supported bills that passed. But the most important was at the very last minute yesterday in the Senate. Uh, Yesterday was the last bill, or I'm sorry, the last day for the Senate to pass bills that originated in the House chamber. So essentially the last day to pass bills and get them to the governor's desk. Um, House Bill 44 is something that Texans for Vaccine Choice has been fighting for since its inception in 2015, when we started to field calls from supporters that were saying, we were fired by our pediatrician. We can't find a pediatrician in our area that will accept patients that aren't vaccinated on schedule. And then in 2016, a huge clinic called Austin Regional Clinic in Central Texas, the biggest Medicaid contracted clinic in the area, decided to make a blanket policy of refusing care for kids who are not vaccinated on schedule. So we we have no, known for eight years that this is a huge problem and it further marginalizes these low-income families, uh, medically fragile children who aren't receiving routine or life-saving care because they've opted not to follow the CDC recommended schedule. Um, And then I'll punt it off to Rebecca to talk about all the background work that went into that the last several years and um, what happened yesterday. So let me comment before you, before you go uh, start Rebecca, let me comment on that is that um, I will say this, first of all, uh, let's face it. Um, I never even heard of you guys until COVID. Um, so one of the good things is, is that COVID exposed some of this stuff. I had no idea. Janet and I are both pharmacists. I had no idea that doctors in Texas, I'm assuming that doctors in Washington were doing the same thing. Um, I'm just assuming that, that they were discriminating against um, 
um, Medicaid patients for not being um, vaccinated. Um, now, um, not only I do believe that that's probably true in, in Washington, because I do know parents that have taken their kids into doctors and doctors get some doctors get hostile when when you say, well, no, I don't want those vaccines right now. I mean, doctors get hostile about it. So one of the things that COVID did is it exposed a lot of the stuff that was going on. It exposed some of the way hospitals are taking care of people. It exposed some of the ways that, you know, um, doctors and clinics were discriminating against people. Um, and yours specifically, um, our topic today is specifically on vaccines. And that would have never probably been exposed as much if it wasn't for COVID. So mm-hmm. that's one of the good things that's happened with COVID is these things are being exposed. Yeah, I mean, there is COVID. I mean, I... I hate what us as a state, nation, world went through, okay? This never should have happened when on a respiratory virus. Like, it just shouldn't have, right? But there were some silver linings. And I am, uh, you know, we as an organization are unashamedly taking advantage of them because so many people have woken up to the complete undue influence of big pharma in nearly every aspect of their lives. I mean, you can't see this, you know, fast-tracked, shoddy tested vaccine that has had devastating adverse act, you know events happen and not start questioning everything. I mean, it's been a, oh, you're concerned about the COVID jabs? Let me introduce you to my friend MMR. You know, things that we have been shouting from the rooftops about mandates and the aggressive vaccine schedule and the injuries and the compensation of these injuries you know, we've been shouting all these things from the mountaintops for eight years. You know, we finally are, you know, have, you know, there, it's, it's a nice segue to bigger conversations for sure. Well, I will tell you, and I, I will let Janet speak to this too, but, um, you know, Janet and I are two kind of rogue pharmacists. We, we were billed many years ago and we questioned a lot of things. Um, but during COVID, we started questioning a lot of things. And I'll be really honest with you. Um, we question our entire pharmacy education now. Mm-hmm. I mean, period. Because we just realized it was all funded. Most all of it was funded by big pharma. So why should we believe if XYZ drug is going to help your diabetes? And even though it does help your diabetes, it's going to help save your life. You know, or blood pressure drugs, statin drugs for cholesterol. I mean, they're, that's, a, that's a big one. Whole other topic. Um, but also vaccines. I mean, one of the things I... Just a rational thought, just a rational thought about vaccines is here's, here's my question about it. Um, and you cannot call Janet and I anti-vaxxers. We were two of the first pharm- group of pharmacists in Washington state to get certified to administer and prescribe vaccines to our patients. And one of the first ones we started questioning probably 10 or 15 years ago was, was flu vaccines. Um, you know, it just, we're going to predict what kind of flu strains coming out this year. Huh? So we just, kind of just kind of it just kind of went away we just quit giving them and quit really um talking much about them but during covid one of the things that really hit me the first one that hit me was was polio and if you talk to my grandparents who have since passed on or you talk to my my parents who are still both alive um you know during the 1950s Polio was going to cripple every kid. It was going to cause them to be on an iron lung. You know, don't let your kids go outside. It's dangerous. You know, keep them inside. This sounds familiar. And then all of a sudden, 
a magic vaccine comes around to save everybody. That was kind of like the COVID narrative. Now, what I question, just this is a rational question I have for anybody in healthcare, anybody in, in any layperson, scientist, non-scientist, how long had the polio virus been around before the vaccine came around? It wasn't a few years. It was hundreds, if not thousands of years. And it didn't wipe everybody out. Same thing with COVID. COVID was still a coronavirus. I'm not saying some people didn't die. And maybe it was a man-made, man-made virus. It doesn't mean that our bodies can't fight coronaviruses. And usually man-made viruses always go revert back to their original natural form. So our bodies are designed to fight viruses for thousands of years, for millennial. So that's kind of my little take on, on why we started, why I started questioning all vaccines. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think the fact that we had 60 bills filed this session that Texans for Vaccine Choice supported, that's an unprecedented, by far, record-breaking number. That is because of COVID. I don't think that we would have had such a response, such a positive momentum going into the 88th legislative session, but not for COVID. Um, so again, it's a silver lining. There are a lot more people who will are willing to take me aside and say, listen, I'm not anti-vaccination, but when you talk about the COVID vaccine and, and Democrats, typically that was our um, that was our no-go zone, you know, that was a, um, a DMZ because we tried and tried and Rebecca can speak more to this personally, but we even um, had booths at their state conventions and it just never worked to our advantage. We could not figure out the best messaging to overcome some of the, the negative connotations that um, are attached to groups like ours in mainstream media that were anti-vax, that were, you know, we are these uneducated hippies or whatever it is. So um, it's been a blessing in 2023 to have so much support in the legislature, but it's not as though this is unanimous still. It's still a fight. And we saw that on the House and Senate floor um, throughout the session. Janet, what... Uh, comments or questions do you have? So um, I I know we had some victories, but we're going to be faced with this again because, you know, I don't think we've heard the last of, of mandates. I, I feel like this is just the start. So so what, what, what do you foresee as to what your next battle is going to be here? You know, I was surprised <laughs> to... To hear some lawmakers um, debating a uh, a bill that would have that would ban government COVID ma- uh, mandates, so masking, closures, and vaccines, it was debated on the House floor this week, and we had at least half a dozen lawmakers that were willing to say, "No, no, 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 no! It's too early. It's too early to ban these because we could have." A mutation, we could have another variant and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the, the red herring was thrown out there as usual. Measles, what about measles, even though this bill had nothing to do with measles? So 
They, I texted Michelle during the debate. I was like, and measles has entered the conversation. I mean, right. the bill was so limited to just yeah. COVID and just government mandates and closures. I mean, it very much so needed bill, let's be clear, but but so limited. And, the, and then we're like, okay, there here comes uh, here comes measles, you know. Right. So they're it's, they're willing to fight every single measure that would protect medical liberty for Texans. I mean even fighting against healthcare access for these um, these disenfranchised children, these complex medical children, they they fought that, and it's mind blowing to me to to be able to justify such an argument. But they are so bought into this that, and they will come back next session, and they will try. There have been the the same handful of bills that have been filed each and every session over and over and over. They die every time, but God bless these people. They keep trying. They're very, um, they're perseverating on some of this stuff. So, so who's behind them? I mean, who, who's lobbying them? It's not, you know, let's face it. It's probably their politician. It's probably not necessarily them thinking it. I mean, who's talking to them? Some of these um, lawmakers represent the medical districts and their, um, their, areas. Um, and some of them really do just want to die on that hill. Wow. Well, one thing I want to say about you guys not being anti-vaxxers, um, same with Janet. Janet and I aren't anti-vaxxers. Um, it's even in your name. It says Texas for vaccine choice. You want patients to have choice. That, that's all I want. I mean, my goal is to educate and empower individuals to make their own educated healthcare decision for themselves. That's it. No mandates. You know, no must-dos. Um, patients should have the individual liberty to choose what healthcare services they want access to or put in their bodies. Right. I mean, let's and let's define what anti-vax is. Anti-vax would be an organization that is trying to tell you you cannot vaccinate, take remove your access to vaccines, dismantle the vaccine program in America. You will not find one bill that we have filed or support that does those things. And, you know, well, let's be clear, those those bills would never get filed um, because it's politically advantageous. But we would not even, that's not our, this is fundamentally a liberty issue. And if we are telling somebody that they cannot vaccinate, we are no better than the Yahoo's trying to say we have to. And right. that's just, you know, they might think I'm stupid for not vaccinating. I might think they're stupid for vaccinating. Guess what? We have the freedom to be stupid. You know, like that's, that's it. Now, let me tell you this though. We do fundamentally believe that the informed consent surrounding vaccines is wholly lacking. And that is a gross disservice to every single citizen. And that is one of our, our cornerstones of our mission statement is to advance informed consent because that piece has just been fundamentally missing. And, you know, what other preventative measure do you have to do this huge bureaucratic opt-out just to get an exemption for it? And, you know, you don't have to appeal to the state to get a magical form to not get a colonoscopy or a mammogram or a pap smear or anything else, these other preventative measures, why we have to go through this whole rigmarole around vaccines. It's ludicrous. But, um, you know, and so that's fundamentally our goal is to make uh, vaccines 
completely irrelevant to your participation in society. I mean, it's one of the biggest hat tricks that Big Pharma has done is convincing Americans that, you know, my vaccine won't work unless you get yours. Like what, yeah. in what world is this okay? Like, it's like, right. I, I have my umbrella today so you don't get wet. I mean, we get, I'm, you know, <laughs> taking allergy medication so you don't get the sniffles. I mean, it's just so absurd, you know, that this is even something we are still having to fight, but yet, um, so that's, I just wanted to paint the picture of like what our ultimate goal is. Like, yeah. you know, right. there's yeah, freedom here. There's here, like you do you, and we're not telling you not to, right. Hey, here's some information you might want to read before you do it. But you know, your vaccine decisions are fundamentally irrelevant to mine. Yeah. Well, and, it's a, it's some of the things you brought up, you know, um, I mean, Jen and I were trained that way as healthcare professionals. Oh, well, you know, other people have to get it too. I mean, it, the, the vaccines don't work unless, you know, you have so many percentage of the population that is vaccinated and, and, it, and we, we bought into that, um, you know, and, and this is, this is one of the things that COVID did though. It exposed the things like that and informed consent. We, we had no idea that that stuff was going on, even though we were accessories to the crime when we were vaccinating people. Um, but I think it was Dr. Robert Malone that really started pushing the informed consent thing. And it's like, look, this is what we want. We want informed consent. And, and how could there be pushback about giving people informed consent? It's like, is your is a service you're going to give somebody so bad you don't want to tell them what it is and what could happen to I them? Know. I mean, seriously. Is, yes, if your product is good, people will be lining up at the door to get it. There wouldn't and need you, to be made. You don't need a mandate either. There wouldn't need to be any of them. Uh, yeah, right. And you would need a mandate, right? Well, what well, what people forget that is pushing this is that you create you create the illusion of a lie. And so what happens and what happened during COVID with a lot of patients that, you know, I have conversations with on the phone or come in is that the trust of your physician or your nurse or your pharmacist or the hospital, all these things that we have taken for granted that we should believe that are going to share knowledge with you in a manner that's professional and you get to make a choice went out the door. It was either you do this or else. And that doesn't set you up for, for good relationships, right? So people, people would have rather stay at home rather than receive any help. So now we have a narrative where people are like, I don't trust you. You're lying to me. And, and I don't believe what you're saying to me. And that's unfortunate because we would want you to have that conversation with somebody that has knowledge so you could make an informed decision. So you get a choice in it because when you force things on people, they're like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm out. I, 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 well, you're, you're lying to me. You're telling me something, you know, I mean, for me as a healthcare professional, that that's the unfortunate part is that we made this big question. And, you know, many times as a parent, if you have a sick child, even if you are vaccinating them, maybe that schedule could be different. And why are we pushing it down on them that it has to be the same for everybody? Because we're not all the same. Our, our yeah. situations and no. our life um, you know, situations are all different and how that looks in healthcare should be different for each person. And I think there's been a misunderstanding for several years about what our organization stands for. Um, we have heard time and again, 
throughout each legislative session, this bill should be fine because it doesn't mandate anything. Well, that's not the that's not our sole focus, and and in fact, our our focus has broadened quite a bit since COVID because we see all of these other areas that are um, in need of addressing. So, truth, transparency, accountability, um, informed consent medical privacy, all of these issues are extremely important and and are a foundation of being able to put some trust in public health, you know, experts um, and public health agencies. But you cannot have that without, first of all, taking force, duress, undue influence out of the, the equation, but also having or being willing to have transparency in the process and and know that what is behind the decisions that these agencies are making the decisions that these pharmaceutical companies are making and how they collude and work together like we deserve to know that so that we can make an informed decision absolutely so what is the next steps for Texas for vaccine choice? Because not over. Well, it's never over. No, a good no. Well, <laughs> yeah. uh, Team TFEC is likely going to be taking a few days off. Uh, we have the uh, <laughs> signy die, which is our last day of session is just in a handful of days. And so uh, we will crawl into a hole, a hole for a few days and then, then we will be back at it um, just for, uh, you know, information, uh, the session is 140 days. And so we are on day, what, 136, 137. And so mm-hmm. the end is in sight. Um, we are tremendously uh, excited about the things we did get over the finish line. But to your point, our job is not over yet. We had one significant uh, bill that uh, was killed and it is it's it was left undone. And that is a vital measure that we need over the finish line. And so we will be uh, a a special session is a near certainty um, in Texas. Uh, There were some priorities that the governor laid out that did not get passed. And so uh, all signs are pointing to us heading to a special session. Uh, Special sessions are unique. Um, I don't don't know if this is the way it is in every state, but in Texas, uh, they are very limited to whatever the governor puts on the call, where in the regular session, you can file any bill on any topic. But in the specials, only bills that are on the official call by the governor are are included, are, are going to be, you know, heard. And so we will be launching our big uh, push to uh to finish the unfinished business of medical liberty in Texas um, very soon. And anytime politicians are in session, um, our liberties are at risk. So we have to, we have to be very, very vigilant because they will, even in this next four days in session, they could take some liberties and special sessions too. So we have to always be vigilant about, about those things. So thank you for doing that. And And go ahead. And I also want to say that, um, in between sessions, there is still a flurry of activity that we are involved in, and we think that everybody should be involved in. So in between sessions, um, the legislature has what they call interim hearings, so just coming together. This will likely not happen until next year, but coming together to talk about um, bills that were passed and how those are being implemented and how they're progressing, but also 
issues that have emerged. So one thing that we're excited to see um, most likely in the interim is a study or at least some investigating into mRNA livestock vaccines and how that impacts our food supply and human health. But um, outside of that, almost immediately after session ends, um, when they gavel out, they start campaigning. So primary season will start immediately. And when you say, you know, obviously laws aren't being passed, so liberties aren't at risk there, but you are setting the, the, the stage for the next legislative session by supporting the right candidates. And we need to be asking all of these candidates up and down the ballot from city council to school boards to legislation, you know, to the legislature, to Congress, do you believe in medical liberty? And if you don't, it's a non-starter. Be a one-issue voter here and make sure that you are putting um, in some time, talent, and treasure for these candidates who need your help to get into the positions where they can influence and protect your medical liberty. Awesome. And I will never forget, I will never forget that first session when we were all sitting in this committee hearing, you know, <laughs> green as green could be. And you know, we were in this hearing and all these legislators are sitting up on in their, you know, dais and this, you know, semicircle talking about taking away our rights. And I remember thinking we are too late. This all started at the ballot box, you know, yep. a year ago. Yep. And if we can get the right people elected, how much easier are our jobs? And we can actually get even more good things over the finish line. I mean, I think a lot of people have this misperception that Texas is this like bastion for freedom. No, we have to fight tooth and nail for basic liberties um, when it comes to your medical freedoms. And it's really frustrating that it's not these slam dunks, easy things. I mean, it's just, I... For your nationwide viewers, I want to say come to Texas, but you better come and be ready to work because it is it is not we cannot rest on our laurels when it comes to vaccine choice in Texas. But we have gotten involved um, over the past eight years in uh, in elections and uh, from the primaries and ensuring that our champions are defended, but then occasionally we go in and say, this is this Yahoo that voted against our rights <laughs> is getting, getting uh, primaried, and we will come in and support that oh. primary uh, challenger as well. And so, and this is my, my, my stump speech on y'all, you got to get involved in the primary election. If you are just a general election voter, you are too late. I don't care what state you live in. Uh, if it's like Texas, which I imagine it is, 90% of our districts are drawn either red or blue. So whoever wins the primary is who is going to win in November and the general election. So primaries are where it's at. If you are not a primary election voter, you are not actually doing your civic duty to uh, get the right people elected. Don't just assume be that they have the right initial after their name, that they are preserving your rights. Yeah. Well, thank you for fighting for Texas. You guys have done a good job. And how has this spread? Have you, I imagine you've worked with, um, there's there's organizations in other states like yours, um, and you've probably worked a little bit with them. Can you tell us a little bit about that or how somebody could start one if they if they want to? I think the beauty of Texans for Vaccine Choice is that um, through, you know, coming together, organizing, and becoming much more official, um, we have lifted the veil in many ways on this entire process. 
there are no qualifications. I hate to make myself sound, you know, rudimentary, but there are no qualifications to start an organization like this, to talk to your elected officials, to become an elected official. Literally anybody can do it. And we tried to make our action alerts very turnkey to where all you had to do is click a button, you know, maybe put in your own little spiel in there if you want to, but being engaged in the process is not only extremely important, it's extremely easy and it takes very little buy-in. Um, we have coordinated and collaborated with other organizations and other states, and we are always happy to um, kind of give a very basic template about how to um, get more people involved and get your citizen advocates really fired up and activated. Um, every state is is very different in their level of um, liberty that they're fighting for and tyranny that they're fighting against and the, um, the level of engagement from their citizens, but it is possible. It's, it's, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's not. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, a lot we of work. Had, in the very early years, we would get calls from people across the state saying, help us out. And we would spend hours on the phone with people and then they, it would just fizzle out. I mean, I'm just going to be very transparent here. It ended up being really frustrating for us as far as the time we spent with these people. And then they realized how much work it is. I mean, I, just to be clear, I mean, Michelle and I, I mean, this is our job. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a, a, and during session, it's 24 seven a job. So yes, quite literally. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. If you are going to be at the helm, I don't want to make it sound like this has been a cakewalk because it is hard, tireless, thankless work, but it is, you know, our reward is, is in heaven. I will, I'm convinced of it <laughs> So, um, because this is, this is a worthy battle and a worthy mission, but I will give an example of New Jersey. Several years ago, I got a call from New Jersey saying we need help. And I spent probably three hours on a Zoom call with these six women, giving them the keys to the kingdom as far as, you know, filings with the IRS, filings with your secretary of state. I mean, just like the the back end stuff, you know, just the rudimentary, you know, just filings and corporate, you know, documents and all of that. And um, they just ran with it. And it could not have come at a better time because just maybe a year, 18 months after that initial phone call and they were, you know, launched and ready, this horrible mandate bill was filed in their state legislature and they were organized, they were activated, and they were able to kill that bill, even in a blue state like New Jersey, which was remarkable. So that's my my success story. I will tell you, I mean, it is, it's, it is hard work, but um, if you can figure out, you know, if you can, we are, like Michelle said, we are not here to uh, hide our keys to success. We are we are excited about getting these, um, these organizations up and started um, for sure, because they're needed in every state. It's not going away. So tell us a little bit about um, your website and how people should navigate it and what's on your website and how people can get a hold of you. So uh, <laughs> this is our homepage on the screen, and you can see our bill list cl- linked right there on the front so that people can kind of follow along with us with all of the bills. And it's uh, and so that's great. Um, we have um, under that resources tab at the very top, we've got our blog, which uh, is very action alert heavy right now because we have been in the middle of the legislative session. So probably the 
I don't know, previous two dozen blogs or, or, or the most recent <laughs> two dozen blogs are all about the state legislature. Um, but we do try, there's a lot of great resources in there as far as, I mean, we have a, a veterinarian that we work with that has written some blogs on pet vaccines. That is a question we get a lot and we finally have some resources for that. Obviously, people vaccines will always be our focus, but uh, I'm happy to have some resources for those that are asking questions about their furry friends. And uh, we have a whole resources page that walks you through um, exemption rights in Texas, advocacy efforts. Um, we have uh, some great resources on, you know, hospital admission guides, like what to do if you know you're going to go into the hospital, what things you can do to prepare to make sure that your rights are honored. We have a vaccine injury guide, how to, you know, report that, how to navigate that the very cumbersome AVERS system, that vaccine adverse event reporting system. Uh, I mean, the, the resources are truly uh, uh, unending. And then, of course, we, um, under that events tab, we have uh, our, our um, upcoming events. We, we have staff all over the state, and we are invited to speak all over the state. So that's a... Um, a list of where you can find us if you want to come meet up and get um, some swag and all sorts of materials. And the the biggest thing that people can do if they want to get engaged would be to click that sign up button. And that's where they can sign up and stay informed, get on our email list. We promise not to uh, spam you with tons of emails. I mean, I'll to, to clarify, all bets are off when it comes to emails during session. Action alerts just come when they come, and we can't control that. But um, other than that, we just send out a weekly email, and we call it our TFEC Tuesday. And so that would be really great for people to sign up. And then that volunteer button as well. We have recently brought on an outreach director whose sole purpose is to help um really, you know, our goal here is world domination, and we start... <laughs> When I say that, Michelle gets twitchy, but it's fine. Um, but, you know, we, we start this by, you know, the, everything is local. I mean, you start at these local communities. And so that outreach program is really our solution to a bottom-up strategy. You know, we at the at the Capitol, you know, it's a lot of top-down because it, we are the boots on the ground. We're, you know, doing all the things. But, you know, in the off-season I mean, I just had such clarity because we had that huge devastating loss um, with that one bill um, a couple of days ago. And I just was thinking, these people don't fear us. These these people don't fear us enough. And they we need these established communities, these um, little pockets of advocacy in every single community so that those legislators know we are watching and we are going to be holding you accountable for your position. Yeah, it's, I mean, we live in the second largest state in the nation. We have 30 million residents, 254 counties, 150 House districts, and 31 Senate districts. It's, that's quite a lot for um, Rebecca and I to, you know, it's, it's a lot of ground to cover. So it really is important. I mean, that that first session that we were active, we were the mad moms and minivans because people were so like fired up by this new, this novel idea, this novel group. We would show up for every time that one of the bills was being heard on the floor and one of the representatives um, during floor debate on a bill that we opposed was like, tell me anything I can do to get these mad moms and minivans to stop calling my office. Like, <laughs> just get them to back off. 
So that's, that's been the beauty of it. And, and over time, you know, things get a little bit, you know, you get jaded or whatever happens, you, you get busy, family um, happens, family first. But um, we really do need to re-engage and, and find um, these pockets that we've actually never reached into before. So this outreach program is essential for that. Um, and we welcome anybody to ask us to speak at their event or visit with them on a podcast or Zoom or whatever, because it really is important that the citizen, the average citizen that's got, you know, two kids, two dogs and and two jobs, you know, uh, dual income to be able to be involved in this process. It is so important. Janet, do you have any, as we wrap this up, do you have any final questions or comments for Michelle or Rebecca? No, I just, I just want to, um, say that, you know, one person can make a big difference. And I think that's proof here. I have two ladies in front of us and, and, you know, they started out green as could be, as they said, but they've made and, it. And mad, mad in a minivan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they made a difference. And I said, you For know, the record, I've never driven a minivan. <laughs> but, but being passionate about something that matters to you and, and speaking up for your rights, um, it may look, it may look hard, but if you have enough passion about it, look at what these ladies have accomplished. So I'm just, I feel like you just are such an encouragement to our listeners that, you know, at some point in time, we all have to stand up for ourselves, and you did that. And, and, our, and our children. And yes, yeah. children. And mm-hmm. but it, it it doesn't just stay with one thing; it leads to all rights and all decisions mm-hmm. that we have for our own body. So, um, kudos to you, and I'm just encouraging people to you know get involved, get involved. Whatever that looks like. Yeah, you guys, you guys are heroes, and you've really helped us realize our goal today, which is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. Um, so I really appreciate you guys fighting. You guys are heroes, um, inspirational. Um, appreciate you uh, being on our podcast today, and our listeners and viewers really can gain a lot out of this. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having us. You're welcome, Rebecca. And thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in to our regularly scheduled uh, podcast, which will be 1230 to 130 Monday Pacific Standard Time. Actually, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. Tuesday, yeah. It's Memorial Day. So we actually have moved it to Tuesday. So, And I have no idea who our guest is. I'm just going to be real honest with you. But (laughs) I promise you it's going to be good. So uh, tune in 1230 to 130. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, Tuesday. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham.